I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking later in the show with Sam Rocha. He is the uh, an assistant professor of the philosophy of education at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. He's also a, an artist. He has uh, several CDs out. We're going to be giving away one of those later called uh, called Late to Love, which is a an album centered around the the writings of Saint Augustine. He's got an album coming out in October called Fear and Loving. You can find more information about that on his website. Uh, just uh, and we'll put a link to that on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. You're going to want to take a look at that. Uh, but before we get there, uh, and of course, you know, we're not going to be talking to him either about education or about uh, artistry, although those things are important to him. We're actually going to be talking about immigration. Uh, that's something that's very near and dear to his heart for a number of reasons. One, because of his heritage. Uh, and two, because he's an American living in Canada. So, you know, you can put it together, right? Uh, now, uh, before we get there, as always, let's start this time off together uh, in prayer, in scripture, and then with a reading from church history. We give glory to the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in our weakness, we pray, Lord, be with your people. Holy Lord, Father, all-powerful, let justice spring up on the earth. Then your people will dwell in the beauty of peace. Let every nation come into your kingdom so that all peoples will be saved. Let married couples live in your peace and grow in mutual love. Reward all who have done good to us, Lord, and grant them eternal life. Look with compassion on victims of hatred and war. Grant them heavenly peace. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, guide us as you guide creation according to your law of love. May we love one another and reach perfection in the eternal life prepared for us. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Amen. Today's first reading comes from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Beloved, I charge you before God, who gives life to all things, and before Jesus Christ, who gave testimony under Pontius Pilate for the noble confession, to keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the blessed and only ruler will make manifest at the proper time the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, and whom no human being has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. That reading comes from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 100. Come with joy into the presence of the Lord. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Come with joy into the presence of the Lord. Know that the Lord is God. He made us. His we are. His people, the flock he tends. Come with joy into the presence of the Lord. 
Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Come with joy into the presence of the Lord. For he is good, the Lord, whose kindness endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Come with joy into the presence of the Lord. Today's gospel comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. When a large crowd gathered with people from one town after another journeying to Jesus, he spoke in a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path and was trampled, and the birds of the sky ate it up. Some seed fell on the rocky ground, and when it grew, it withered for lack of moisture. Some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some seed fell on good soil, and when it grew, it produced fruit a hundredfold. After saying this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. Then his disciples asked him what the meaning of this parable might be. He answered, Knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God has been granted to you. But to the rest, they are made known through parables, so that they may look but not see, and hear but not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those on the path are the ones who have heard, but the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but they have no root. They believe only for a time and fall away in time of temptation. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, they are the ones who have heard, but as they go along they are choked by the anxieties and riches and pleasures of life, and they fail to produce mature fruit. But as for the seed that fell on rich soil, they are the ones, when they have heard the word, they embrace it with a generous and good heart and bear fruit through perseverance. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Today our our reading from church history comes from a homily by St. Bede the Venerable. Jesus saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. Jesus saw Matthew, not merely in the usual sense, but more significantly, with his merciful understanding of men. He saw the tax collector, and because he saw him through the eyes of mercy and chose him, he said to him, Follow me. This following meant imitating the pattern of his life, not just walking after him. St. John tells us, Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And he rose and followed him. There is no reason for surprise that the tax collector abandoned earthly wealth as soon as the Lord commanded him. Nor should one be amazed that, neglecting his wealth, he joined a band of men whose leader had, on Matthew's assessment, no riches at all. The Lord summoned Matthew by speaking to him in words, by an invisible interior impulse flooding his mind with the light of grace. He instructed him to walk in his footsteps. In this way, Matthew could understand that Christ, who was summoning him away from earthly possessions, had incorruptible treasures of heaven in his gift. As he sat at table in the house, 
Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. This conversion of one tax collector gave many men, those of his own profession and other sinners, an example of repentance and pardon. Notice also the happy and true anticipation of his future status as an apostle and teacher of nations. No sooner was he converted than Matthew drew after him a whole crowd of sinners along the same road to salvation. He took up his appointed duties while still taking his first steps in the faith, and from that hour he fulfilled his obligation and thus grew in merit. To see a deeper understanding of the great celebration Matthew held at his house, we must realize that he not only gave a banquet for the Lord at his earthly residence, but far more pleasing was the banquet he set in his own heart, which he provided through faith and love. Our Savior attests to this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. On hearing Christ's voice, we open the door to receive him, as it were, when we freely assent to his promptings, and when we give ourselves over to doing what must be done. Christ, since he dwells in the hearts of his chosen ones through the grace of his love, enters so that he might eat with us and we with him. He ever refreshes us by the light of his presence, in so far as we progress in our devotion to and longing for the things of heaven. He himself is delighted by such a pleasing banquet. That reading from Church History comes from a homily by St. Bede the Venerable. There's something in that reading from St. Bede that I, I find just uh, encouraging and fascinating. And it's his estimation that Matthew, as soon as he was called, not only did he realize his own need and get up and leave all that he had behind and begin to follow God, begin to follow Christ on his journey, but he also automatically, immediately took up his mantle insofar as he could. He, he not only followed Christ, but even in his state of not knowing everything, of not being discipled yet, he began to invite people to the feet of Jesus Christ. He began to make introductions. He began to say how important this was to him by saying, hey, you know, Jesus has really made a difference. I'm, I'm turning over this new leaf. Let's have a party. Come and see the change. Come and see this person who has changed my life. And, you know, I think so many times we feel our own lack of being able to answer the right questions, right? Uh, we, we come to some new conversion in our hearts and we realize, well, I, I don't have all the answers. And, and so we think, well, that means since I don't have all the answers, I cannot therefore be effective for God. Uh, I have to grow up. I have to mature. I have to have a, a degree and be smart. And, and, uh, and that's not something that Christ requires of us. In fact, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the, the church at Pentecost, uh, the, and, and Peter and the apostles began to speak boldly. It says the people realized that they were unschooled and ordinary. Uh, and, and the word for ordinary there is idiot, right? It's the Greek word uh, idiotois, uh, which means, you know, common men. So here they are, they're unschooled and they're ordinary, and yet they're going out and they're boldly proclaiming. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is something that we think, oh, I have to have so much education and so much schooling, and, and I, better let, I better let the professionals handle that. Uh, and, and yet we're called just to share what we have, 
right? You don't have to have a perfect presentation down. You don't have to go out necessarily looking for anyone. Uh, it's, this is not a door-to-door -door thing. This is in our relationships, in the people that we're around. Uh, we, we give away what we have. Like Matthew, who was brought to this conversion where Christ approached him and, and impacted him in a very personal way. And what's the first thing he did was he brought other people to Jesus Christ. Uh, not in a preachy way, in a, hey, I'm going to have you over. We're going to share a meal. We're going to share life together. And I want to introduce you to this person. Uh, and that's something that, that is available for all of us to do. It doesn't take uh, necessarily a lot of schooling. It doesn't take any of those things. It just takes a willingness to, to interact with those around us and to share with them what we have in Christ Jesus. And I look at this, this picture of the seeds, and, and perhaps this is a good opportunity uh, in this Gospel of Luke where Jesus tells the parable. It's a good opportunity for us to look at ourselves and say, how have I received the Word of God? Have I received it like the path where it just bounces off? Have I received it like the seed that fell on the shallow ground where I didn't let it make a change? I didn't really let it penetrate the hard outer crust. Uh, everything's packed down, and, and it's really not going to get too far. Maybe it springs up, but there's nothing there to keep it going. Am I going am, am to receive the Word of God uh, in a way that, that, that I'm happy to receive uh, and listen and to hear and to sit in the Mass and to go once a week, but then I've got too many other things going on to really let it make a difference? Or are we going to receive the Word of God in a way that it makes a profound impact, like it did with Matthew, not only in our lives, but in the lives of all those around us? Because when we receive the Word of God and we let it sink into the depths of our heart, it bears fruit. It makes a difference. It changes not only us, it changes all those around us for the glory and the kingdom of God. Well, when we come back, we're going to be talking with Sam Rocha about immigration. I know it seems like it may be a little bit of a jump, uh, but this is going to be an excellent conversation. I can't wait to have it with you. Join the conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. And on Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. We'll be right back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you could stick through the break. Oh, we're going to have a lot of fun today. We are talking today with Sam Rocha. He is many things and kind of divergent things as well. Uh, he's an assistant, no, yeah, an assistant professor of philosophy of education for the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, uh, which uh, is very interesting because you are not from Canada. No, no, I'm not. I'm, uh, I'm actually an American citizen. Yeah. Awesome. And we're going to be talking today about immigration, which is kind of appropriate since you're an American citizen living in Vancouver. It's like a, there's a there's a song about that. Now that's that's Englishman in New York. It's different. Uh, it's, uh -huh. the, it's the other direction. All right. And you're also okay. you're also a musician. Uh, you're coming out with a new album coming up very soon in October called Fear and Loving. Uh, mm -hmm. But we're going to be giving away later in the show a copy of one of your older albums. Uh, called Late to Love, which is an album, uh, a CD based on 
St. Augustine's, uh, Augustine's Confessions. That's right. Uh, so very much looking forward to that on Wise Blood Records, and we'll be giving that away later in the show. You're going to want to stick through it. And, uh, you know, I'm glad we have something really good to give away because we're, we're talking about something that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, <laughs> we're talking today about immigration. Oh, my. Uh, you know, this is a topic that, that I have had some evolving positions on. Uh, because I grew up just kind of taking the party line for granted. Uh, and I grew up in a very, uh, what was considered a politically conservative home. And we, uh, we favored legal immigration, uh, and, and generally did not favor, uh, what was titled illegal immigration. Sure. Uh, and so that was kind of my, my whole philosophy of immigration until I came across this tiny little, uh, television documentary on Ellis Island and started mm-hmm. learning about the mm-hmm. history mm. of American immigration. Yeah. Why, why we even began creating uh, policies for legal immigration mm-hmm. uh, and then how we treated it basically as an outcropping of the eugenics movement very early in the century and in, in the previous century. That's right. Uh, and so, me being as staunchly pro-life as I am and, and being against eugenics in every form and seeing its its ugly history throughout our nation, yeah. something sure. I was very much against. Sure. Uh, and so I want to talk to you just a little bit. You have a very unique perspective on the topic of immigration, uh, legal and otherwise. And so I'm sure. going to step out of the way and let you just kind of take us where you're going to go and I'll, I'll give some guiding questions as we go through it. Oh, thank you, Timothy, and thank you for having me on your program. Um, you've kind of rerouted uh, my view a bit here. Not so much my view itself, but the way I want to talk about it. Okay. By starting by starting with Ellis Island, um, I kind of wanted to start with the Rio Grande River and, and, and start directly with that border. But um, I think it's actually really important to note the fact that um, the terms we use when we talk about legal and illegal immigration mm-hmm. presuppose a sort of uh, very pure historical relationship to the law with respect to to the other historical uh, migrations in, in, into the United States. Um, and here, I'm not even I'm not even going to go all the way back, right, to colonialism and all that stuff. We can we can start in the 19th century mm-hmm. uh, during the Great Potato Famine and look at, for instance, the uh, the way in which the Irish uh, were were brought into this country, the grave injustices done against uh, that people, right. the, the, the very overt, hostile nativism and racism uh, that was directed towards them, the ways in which they were, in many ways, um, uh, attached to conditional agreements, some, in some cases, to fight in the Civil War, um, uh, much later in, in, uh, in the progression, obviously. But um, we can even look into, to one of my interests, which is at the... Uh, the genesis of compulsory schooling laws, uh, which began getting uh, um, uh, promoted in the 1830s and were eventually ratified in the 1850s, um, and the relationship between compulsory schooling, what would become public schooling, and then Catholic schools as something like a counterculture, a sort of safe haven that the Vatican reached out uh, on behalf of the Irish. The reason I say all this to, to your listeners is that um, I think as Catholics, um, we have a very particular religious historical uh, relationship to immigration that 
already, before we get into the specifics of what I kind of want to talk about, Mm -hmm. already raises as highly questionable this notion that the distinction between legal and illegal is, 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 is in any way sacred or in any way inviolable, right? Right. Um, In fact, you could say, and I'm going to use a term here that some would consider a little bit unsavory, um, but uh, you could say that the first, you know, because the word wet back refers to someone who has their back still wet from having swum across the river. Right. Uh, the, the, the first wet backs of uh, immigration history, we're told, were actually probably Irish men and women who mm-hmm. were stowaways on the ships coming from Ireland who knew about the horrors of Ellis Island and were not prepared to allow themselves and submit themselves and subject themselves to that uh, kind of historical, genealogical, in many cases, religious forms of violence. So they would jump off of the ships and advance of Ellis and make it for, for New York. Wow. Um, and so, so here we already see uh, an image that I think um, uh, uh, we've come to be almost uh, ideologically prone to be against and to see as hostile. Yet um, the, the one aspect of this era of, 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 of U.S. Um, nativist sentiment and of this particular treatment of immigrants, that's very clear. And here I'm going to probably raise the ire of some of my Protestant brothers <laughs> and sisters, is that it was not simply politically nativist. It was also religiously motivated. Yeah. It was it was seen through a largely puritanical deistic mix of eyes that ultimately um, had no capacity to, to see what would later in the century and then, of course, through 100 years of Catholic social teaching uh, be established as a preferential option for the poor. For them, the poor were, 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 were basically downtrodden because of their moral impiety, because of their uh, lack of values. And, uh, and, uh, and whenever you couple being poor with also drinking and dancing and having fun, you can imagine how the story goes. <laughs> so. So, so, so the way you opened the show it was, in some sense, a detour, but hopefully a useful one to realize that there's a religious dimension, there's a there's a theological politics at the very core of immigration in relationship to the United States of America as a nation and other large populations, and we've seen this repeat itself in the treatment of Italian immigrants, also Catholic, German Catholic, again and again and again, and the Jews is a different side of the story, but I would say one that has some family resemblances. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I go ahead. At- yeah. I look at this in, in, in the Old Testament. We see three words generally ascribed to, uh, to immigrants. We see the stranger, we see the uh, foreigner, and we see the sojourner. Sure. Some and translations also use the alien. The alien. Yeah, yes. so stranger, alien, and sojourner. And you've got, yeah. this, uh, you've got this picture of a person who has no interest and is just passing through. Mm-hmm. You've got this person who is uh, dedicated to living there but doesn't assimilate. Right. And then you've got the person, the sojourner, who is the person who comes and fully assimilates. Sure. But there's no picture anywhere in Scripture mm-hmm. of legality. Right. Uh, this whole I, th- there's no moral uh, construct to the issue right. of whether or not a, the migration of peoples is uh, is legal or illegal. This is completely and and totally uh, a law of convenience. And now it is a law. Uh, and sure. we have other laws like that, like we sure. we have laws of convenience regulating the speed that we drive. Sure, sure. Uh, we have laws of convenience uh, that that have nothing to do with morality. And then sure. there are other laws that bear the force of morality. Uh, That's right. But I think it's a danger for us to say that 
any law out there that we happen to think is important, therefore right. carries moral weight uh, to the level of the Ten Commandments, to the level of uh, murder and of other such uh, items. That, that, that's, a, that's a good point, uh, Timothy. I, I, would, I would not so much push back, but, but clarify to say, though, that um, to those who would assert a moral dimension to immigration laws, they're not so much talking about morality in the biblical, um, you could say, purely theological sense. They're really talking about in a modern sense in which the nation state is ultimately the kind of great white line, bright white line of the sacred. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's really it's a violation of the nation in many ways. Here, I'm not I'm, I'm not uh, unlike many. I'm not willing to say that. No, it's really not. There is a very real sense in which. Um, in particular, when we're talking about the Mexican-American border, um, there are issues related to sovereignty. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are really the issues that I think we need to talk about in a very close, detailed, historical way, very much akin to the way in which you spoke about it in, in relation to Ellis Island. Um, however, these are not moral issues writ large. These are very particular historical questions of sovereignty with respect to a very particular kind of political organization called the nation state. This is not the Greek city state. This is not the Roman Republic. Right. These are not uh, um, the, 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 the provinces of, of, of the Holy Roman Empire. This is a new legal construct. And it may, might sound pedantic and professorial for me to insist on, on, on that difference. But I think it relates to your point about how this is not a moral issue at the level of the Ten Commandments. It, in other words, right. it's not universalizable. Well, and the other thing with the Ten Commandments is that there's really no, uh, they're, they're universally applicable. And as we look at the nation state, we have to examine it and say, are these concerns, uh, which are legitimate concerns, are they legitimate to the place where they elevate uh, the issue above the human person? Uh, that becomes the question for me, because as Catholics, we look at everything through the lens of, uh, of two questions. Uh, how does this deal with my love of God, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how does this deal with my love for the human person? Love your neighbor as yourself. And against those two things, all the law and the prophets are summed up in those two issues. That's right. Well, we're coming up on a break here. Uh, we've got about one minute left. Let's just kind of wrap up this segment, and then the next section we'll talk about uh, the, the southern border. Absolutely. I think that's a good idea. Uh, so we, there's, there's a great article out there uh, on, and we'll put a link to this on our social media, uh, on catholicculture.org, talking about on the limits of uh, political sovereignty. Uh, it's what you were talking about there in that last little segment, and mm -hmm. I encourage all of my listeners, uh, I encourage you to go and take a listen to this, uh, to go and read this. It's a, just a phenomenal article uh, and will really maybe stretch you in ways that you weren't expecting to be stretched. Well, this is Absolutely. certainly a, a difficult and controversial topic. Why don't you go join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. You can get to us on Twitter. The handle is at Outside the Walls. Or you can leave me a comment on the comment line. That's 918-928-KPIM, 918-928-5746. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Sam Rocha, Assistant Professor of the Philosophy of Education at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, also an artist. We're going to be giving away a book of his and a CD later in the show. You're not going to want to miss it. 
You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you stuck through the break. We got a great show today. We're talking with Sam Rocha. He's an assistant professor of the philosophy of education for the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. He's also a musician. Got a new album coming out called Fear and Loving in October. Later in the show, we're going to be giving away a, a book of his, as well as a CD, Late to Love, which is all about songs about uh, St. Augustine's Confessions. Uh, can't wait to put it in your hands. But today we're talking about something completely different. We're not talking about education. Uh, we're not talking about music. We're talking about immigration. Uh, now, in the last segment, we talked a little bit about the historical context for the immigration debate that we're facing today. Uh, there's always been what I, what I have heard called the hated other. Because if we can get our society focused on who our enemy is, then it, it solidifies us in, in a very particular way. And so there's always been someone. Uh, our immigration policy has had its eyes turned against the Japanese and the Germans and the Chinese and the Irish and the Balkans. And just about everyone's had a turn. Mm-hmm. Well, today the turn some, somewhere vacillates between those of Middle Eastern uh, descent and those of uh, Hispanic descent. Uh, and really, we don't even make distinction between the different kinds of Hispanic, of which there are numerous varieties. Uh, they're not all Mexican. Uh, that's right. And, and, and that's something we, we tend to kind of gloss over. But right now, uh, those are the folks in the crosshairs. And, and we get this thing of, oh, well, I'm not really against immigration. I'm against illegal immigration. But these are people who don't take a- any time to take a look at what the laws actually say uh, and completely miss the injustice of these laws. And speaking of St. Augustine, Augustine famously said, uh, an unjust law is no law. That's right. So Sam, Sam, why don't you take us through some of your, uh, some of your soapboxes on this issue and I'll kind of sit back a little bit and let you go. Well, I, I think I'll start in two ways. First is autobiographical and the second is geographical. Great. Um, uh, my last name is is Rocha. That's an anglicized way to say it. Rocha is the the uh, correct way to say it. it. It's it's not actually uh, um, Hispanic in that it doesn't have its origins in in the in the Spanish language. Although it is Iberian, uh, it's uh, it's Portuguese. Um, and uh, my family, uh, on both sides in this case, uh, come from not Mexico. Uh, that is to say, the na- the nation of Mexico as we know it. Um, nor any other country, uh, but actually from the southwest uh, New Mexico, Colorado, uh, southwest area, mm-hmm. and from South Texas, uh, what some people call the Rio Grande Valley. Um, my genealogy uh, within those regions uh, goes uh, a ways back to horse ranches and sheep camps um, in the Rio Grande Valley or just, just south of San Antonio, Texas and, uh, throughout the, the Rocky mountains. The reason why this is important is because my family quite literally inhabits a a borderland space in which its ethnicity is, uh, Mexican is, uh, uh, Spanish, Latino, uh, Hispanic, whatever. 
Uh, yet at the same time, it has complete and total uh, national affiliation uh, to the United States. In fact, my, my, my grandfather, Andres Rocha, didn't know he was an American citizen until he got drafted for World War II, uh, I believe. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, and so the, the, the lines that govern the, uh, the very nation that we talk about, and sometimes I, th- I find in, in a very naive way, um, were never clear to me. This isn't, for me, a principally political issue. This is something that I've uh, lived in for a long time. If you told my grandfather, who never spoke English a day of his life, um, to go back to where you came from, he would actually go north because he lived about uh, um, maybe four hours south of where he was born in San Isidro, Texas. Um <laughs> So, so there's this saying we have in our family that that, uh, uh, and, and I think a lot of people from the borderlands say say this that um, uh, the border didn't cross. We never crossed us. The we never crossed the border. The border crossed us. Wow. We never crossed the border. The border crossed us. Uh, another curiosity. So that's the autobiographical. The other curiosity is geographical. Um, if it is the case that the region that the illegal Mexicans are immigrating into, uh, primarily the regions of California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, if it is the case that they are illegal immigrating into these regions, why are all the cities and states themselves named in their own language that is Spanish? Mm-hmm. Where does Los Angeles, which right. means the angels, not, by the way, not only Spanish, but religious names by the, for the most part. Right. San Diego. Right. Um, San Antonio, New Mexico, Nuevo Mexico, Arizona, Colorado. Right. In other words, this idea that the United States is this sort of pristine English, but not in England, uh, weird uh, English (laughs) uh, uh, place that these illegal Mexicans are pouring into with no relation whatsoever, geographically or culturally or whatever, is an outright historical inaccuracy that the very names of the cities and the states themselves bear out. And so to me, when we talk about in particular Mexican immigration through the U.S.-Mexican border, uh, we need to categorize that in a slightly different place than even when we talk about Irish immigration than even when we talk about immigration writ large. Because in this case, we're talking about people moving across a border that itself was invented in the year 1848 through the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and what is known in most cases as the Mexican Secession, which was the result of the of the of the um, uh, Mexican-American War, which was opposed by the same people who were defending the Irish at the same time from nativist sentiment in the Northeast. It was opposed because it was seen as imperial. It was opposed because it was seen as unjust. It was opposed because when you look at the terms of that treaty, whenever you look at the history of that war, it was basically a land grab. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the, the, the result of it is not only the fact that we have names that, 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 uh, it, that we couldn't, they couldn't go and rename the entire region, but you also have people like my grandparents on both sides, like my family going back generation after generation, who are native indigenous to that area, not indigenous in, in the other sense, although that plays some role, I suspect, on the bloodline. Um, but who, who have a, a, a very particular claim in that on that area and for whom the borderline is in some sense historically arbitrary 
in a way that the city names and the landmass and stuff and and the culture really because if you go there you understand that you can't go there and just be culturally you know neutral right. um it is much older so this to me is is the real uh hard situation and the real kind of uh historical predicament that we have to bear in mind when we then think of in this case mexican uh immigration from Mexico to the United States. Now, th this is a show where we particularly look at the foundations of faith and then the implications right. of that faith on daily life. So let's let's take a moment and flip that lens just uh, just a, a small sure. a small degree of change. Uh, sure. So, so now we are uh, by being Catholic. Catholic mm -hmm. is a word that means universal. Uh, yeah. We are based on a couple of principles or, or some of the our economics, some of our policies really come from these dual principles of subsidiarity and, and solidarity. solidarity. Yep. So subsidiarity means that the, the smallest organization that can take care of something should. If the city can take care of it, the state shouldn't. If the state right. can take care of it, the, the, the nation state shouldn't. Right. Uh, and then solidarity says we're all in this together. Yep. Now, the problem is that uh, we have nativism, which we've mm -hmm. talked about a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. which is precisely the opposite it's not we're all in this together it's we're all in this together against everyone else who's not in this with us right uh, and so you you look and you mentioned this earlier you look at the religious component of the immigration laws sure. and it's typically been with people who are catholic who right. are religiously different than the majority of the united states and that's something that we as catholics ought to take a very careful look at and say who are we rejecting who is it that we are are demonizing with our words, with our characterizations? Uh, who are these people? And we look in the mirror and we realize that they're us. Right. Uh, these are the people who who share our faith, who profess the very same creed that we profess. These yes. are our people, and I'm about as uh, you know Anglo as you can get. And I want to say <laughs> these are our people, mm -hmm. uh, and we have to be concerned. Uh, for for their well-being, for their ability uh, to not be under uh, religious persecution where they are, we think of the, we think of the southern uh, countries as not being terribly religiously oppressive, but they can be. Uh, oh, and they absolutely were in Mexico, in particular during the administration of of Gallegos. I mean, I, I mean, uh, here here's where where. If, if I can use a, a term that's very impolitic whenever you're talking to that actual audience, but where conservatives can have a very selective memory, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, on the one hand, they want to celebrate the Cristeros right. and, and for greater glory. Uh, yet, on the other hand, they don't want to understand the sort of very particular political religious history of Mexico that in many cases did drive some people across the border and to some extent still creates you know, a, a great degree of tension uh, in that country. The truth of the matter that you're speaking, though, um, with regards to solidarity and subsidiarity is that Mexico is a Catholic nation. Right. I don't care <laughs> how you cut this. When you look at the folklore, the iconography of the Mexican Revolution, it began with a banner of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Right. At the right. front of the militia. Now, by the way, <laughs> as someone who's, who who gets a little bit freaked out by mixing uh, mili military, you know, armies with religion, I mean, it, it's a, uh, it's not a pretty picture all the way right. around. But the point, though, is that Mexico, the Mexican nation, and the Mexican people are thoroughly Catholic. Yeah, we're talking today with Sam Rocha about the topic of immigration. 
kind of a touchy topic for some folks. Why don't you join this conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls or our handle on Twitter is at outside the walls. We'll be back right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you could stick through the break. Oh, wow. We've had just a fascinating conversation. If you've missed any part of this, you can find it on iTunes. Just type in Outside the Walls and you can download that podcast. All the archives are also up at OutsideTheWalls.com. So if you missed it or you want to pass this on to someone else, you want someone else to take a listen to this interview, uh, you can find it there. Okay, we're talking with Sam Rocha today. Uh, He is an assistant professor of philosophy of education at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Uh, but his history is down in the southern states, and uh, so we're talking with him about the issue of immigration. Now, today we're going to be giving away his, one of his CDs and one of his books. The book is A Primer for Philosophy and Education. He assures me that it is much more accessible than it sounds. Uh, and so we're going to be giving that away as well as his CD late to love, which is a collection of songs based on St. Augustine's confessions. So we got a question for you as always get near Google. Cause we're going to have some strong keywords so you can find this really easily. Uh, and then you're going to give me the answer. You're going to give it to me on facebook.com slash step outside the walls, or you can do it by Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. Or if you're just antisocial, you can give me a call, 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-5746. Sam, why don't you give us that question? Uh, Fill in the blank. We shall always insist upon giving a blank blank to others, which is at once a duty of human solidarity and Christian charity. The quote I'm giving you is from Populorum Progressio. Give that to us one more time. We shall always insist upon giving a blank to others, which is at once a duty of human solidarity and Christian charity. All right. What is that duty of human solidarity and Christian charity? Go ahead and give me a call, 918-928-KPIM, or send me that message over on facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Or on Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. All right, Sam, we've got just a little bit of time left. And so give us some closing thoughts. What do you have on your mind? What do we not get to in our other segments? Well, I think Pope Francis recently has has really called the attention of Catholics to be, in a certain sense, very concrete. he, um, uh, from, from his encyclical and also his, his, his pastoral letter before that, we have this, this sort of, we see hard science being used, we see uh, economics being raised. And I know this makes some people uncomfortable for other reasons, but I think with regards to the immigration battles, we can't rely on purely anecdotal. Mm-hmm. Uh, accounts. We can't rely on on purely sentimental accounts, and I don't think it's sufficient to rely, as you noted, on moral equivalencies to basically very large questions of political philosophy, philosophy of law, and stuff like that. I think we need to look, in this case, at the actual historical 
uh, status of the Mexican peoples along the borderlands, of the actual historical status of the of the Mexican American border, and of the historical um, uh, uh, stories that are told from that border. For instance, the Mexican re repatriation during the 1930s, where hundreds of thousands of American-born cultural Mexicans were sent back to Mexico in a sort of fit of nativism, mm -hmm. a fit of nativism that sounds very much akin to what I hear Donald Trump talking about these days. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I think that in this case, theology should guide us, but it should guide us from a position where we know what we're talking about. So right. I think it's important to actually go to the, his to the history books and then consult Catholic social teaching to make sense of that history. Um, but I think that relying on a, on a kind of pure pietism in this case, going to the catechism immediately, may not quite be the method for understanding this issue. Well, and beyond that, let's let's look at history is incredibly valuable on this question. Sure. But there's something else that I think is is something of equal value, because most of the people that I know who who have these opinions uh, about immigration, who, who have negative opinions towards illegal immigration, mm. have have not read the laws. Sure. What, what do the laws say? What's the quota? How, what's the effect of these laws that we're separating sure. families, that we're sure. uh, creating uh, what, the lottery systems that that basically make it to where only the very wealthy can enter? No, and those right. who do enter are very quickly indebted to others and can't make their way out. We're keeping people in a certain way in poverty. These are very, very important questions. I, th I think you're absolutely right, and I think the policy record is certainly a part of that kind of descriptive side of things. I would also say, though, that another thing we could do, especially as communities increasingly have this, is go attend a, 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 a Spanish mass. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there are... There's so many opportunities here where I am in the city of Tulsa. We have several Spanish masses, but then they also have the, the processions that mm -hmm. you hear about. Uh, oh, and maybe yeah. in some rural country, rural cities, they still do. But in the city, you don't see it very often among your average Catholic, except right. except in the Spanish congregations. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll do our Corpus Christi procession and it's, you know, around the block and they'll do a five mile procession from one parish to the other. And I mean, it's serious stuff. Well, it's, it's Catholicism that is cult, that is cultural. And I know we sometimes say cultural Catholicism is some kind of like cheap substitute for like the real stuff. But mm -hmm. in this case, I think going and seeing and participating as a Catholic within a particular manifestation of Catholic culture also shows you perhaps some of the reasons why a predominantly secular Protestant nation would have something legitimate to fear. Yeah. Well, Sam, it's just been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Timothy. I appreciate it. Well, next week we're going to be talking with, uh, with Rebecca Hamilton. Uh, she is a former legislator for the state of Oklahoma. We're going to be talking about the other side of pro-life, uh, given some of her recent experiences now that she's left the legislature taking care of an aging parent uh, and just has some some wonderful insights to give to us. We're going to also hear a little bit about her story. Of course, that's going to be pre-recorded because I'm going to be all the way in Philadelphia uh, with Pope Francis. So we're going to have to get that pre-recorded. We'll get it all in the bag and give it to you next Saturday. You're not going to want to miss it. Going to be a great conversation. And yeah, it's not the same thing as going to see Pope Francis. But if you can't be in Philadelphia, at least you can listen to the show, right? 
Outside the Walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media. Heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Join our conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. And on Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. Catch all the archives at OutsideTheWalls.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.